Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matherface, the former England star, Leanne Sanderson, TalkSport's host, Adrian Durham, and TalkSport football correspondent, Alex Crook. As England win again. Lovely ball into midfield and Toon picking up the space. Manages to get it into Russo. Lovely cry. Church is one-on-one with the goalkeeper. That's a beauty! Thunders it beyond the goalkeeper. A lovely turn on the edge of the box. A beautiful finish from Alicia Russo. Breaking records, making history and headlines like never before. The Lionesses once again come to the fore and start to roar after the break. And now it is England 4. Northern Ireland nil. Another party, not quite eight, but brilliant entertainment. Norway as the Hegerberg and Graham Hansen partnership goes home. More ACL trouble and all the weekend's transfer news with Crookie as United get the latest Ericsson. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. And we are at St Mary's, just minutes after another England victory. Leanne Sanderson and uh, Adrian Durham are here. Thank you very much for blessing me with your presence, by the way, and staying on for me. I appreciate it. Are you not sick of me yet, No, 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 not not at all. Obviously, I'm powered by Haribo now because you started to bring (laughs) all sorts of sweets with you to these uh, events. I'm delighted. The worrying thing about the Haribo is I I can resist them, but once I have one, that's it. That is it. It is. And they're, what, are they sweet and sour or something like that? Yeah, they're American, actually. I just started selling them over here. No, they're twin snakes. Have you seen the twin snakes two snakes together apple and lemon blueberry and blackcurrant cherry and orange yeah. and not forgetting Fantastic. the chocolate buttons yeah, we went Absolute through them well quickly today, yeah i know we? i offered them out epic fail <laughs> uh, right okay we've seen another england victory i think we all think that the group stage has been absolutely outstanding 14 goals scored none conceded they've broken the record for the number of goals scored in a european championship group but by some way as well the last team to score over 10 goals was Germany in 2001. They scored 11. England scored 14. That's smashing a record. Absolutely. And they've been sensational. They really have. I think after the first performance against Austria, we expected big things. And I think it was quite underwhelming. But I did say a win's a win. And that's all that really matters. But the performance against Norway, I think really it made everybody think we really, we really could win this. I don't think I believed it until they beat Norway in the way that they did. And then tonight... First half performance, I think, I think wasn't that great. 
But then I think our standards have become so high that we're like almost hypercritical of them. But, you know, they played fantastic again tonight. And I think the ultimate thing is no goals conceded at this point is absolutely unbelievable because against Norway, a lot of us, I mean, what do we know, eh? A lot of us thought that it could have been a tight game. Everybody in probably world football that watches this game would have thought Norway could have caused an upset and England just, you know, they didn't get near them at all. So England have been brilliant. No goals conceded. And tonight they obviously was out without their manager. I'm sure she was kicking every ball from her hotel room, but it was a brilliant performance again in the second half. When Frank Kirby scored. I got emotional. Well, we noticed. <laughs> I think it's because you didn't have your jumper or your Frank Kirby jumper or T-shirt on today. I think it brought her bad luck. Before. I didn't. I didn't want to curse it, but I. I was just. I actually did get emotional because I don't think she, she's the kind of player who's they're very subtle but really clever touches. Yes. I mean, both the games we've seen so far. But then when the ball came to her on the edge of the box, I thought, oh, go on, and and she curled it superbly. It really was a brilliant finish, and just like I did when she scored in the FA Cup final at Wembley in December. I shed a little tear. Did you? Because my, my Frank Kirby scored a beauty. But I think the thing about Frank Kirby, which goes a little bit... <laughs> Frank Kirby. It's true. I do have not just a Frank Kirby t-shirt, which uh, Leanne Sanderson put on uh, social media. I today, sent it to Fran. Uh, and sent it to Fran. Yeah. And she was very grateful. I have a Fran Kirby hoodie as well. Hold on. I've just got an email from the England press office. who said they're taking a restraining order out. <laughs> 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 um, no, the thing about Frank Kirby is, and if you've ever met her, you, I know that you have, Leah, we all have, but uh, I mean, people, I haven't, people <laughs> haven't met her. You know, they're, they're like, she is very, uh, an understated person. She's a world superstar. She's a brilliant footballer. She's at the top of her game. But if you ever meet her, she's very humble. She's very quiet. She's very meek and mild. And on the football pitch, she is, she's quite, She's quite subtle. Everything that happens is is choreographed, and it's you know it's well it's well planned for Serena Vigman. But she's a very off the cuff player, isn't she? Mm. And she drifts into those little spaces, and it's the little delicate movements that make such a massive difference. And we saw that tonight with England. Yeah, definitely. And I think a little story about Frank Kirby when she stopped playing for a little while because of the bereavement of her mother. And then she came back to playing. She came with us on a trip to La Manga and she was in the under 23 team. She was playing for the Redden at the time. And I remember she trained with us. She's played in 11 v 11. And afterwards I said to the girls, who's this? I was like, she needs to be with us all the time. And they're looking at me because I was always, I'm always the type of person and player that I want the best players on my team. So I don't see that as a threat to me. If someone's coming in, yes, we play the same position. And in the end, she probably ended up taking my spot on the team, but who cares if someone's better and doing better than so be it. But I just remember seeing her thinking this player has something special and she definitely has. And I think she brings something different and fair play to her because she's kept herself fit. She's been through a lot. Frank Kirby has a lot. She's had this fatigue syndrome this year, had hardly played for Chelsea. And then she comes into a major tournament. Yes, she came off in both games in around the 60th minute, but tonight played 90 minutes. And this is like really intense football at the, at the world level, European level it is high intensity. At times it looked like England were kind of walking because they could. But mm. for Frank Kirby to come through these games without looking like she's unfit, it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, let's talk about that first half. because it was a little bit flat initially, wasn't it? And, it, and Northern Ireland had their chances too. And yeah. you know, I'm not saying that that would have changed the course of the game, but that was a little bit of a scare. Well, we talked about the tactics beforehand and, and how many they were going to play at the back. Northern Ireland did pack the back. There's no doubt about that. And, and so frustrated England. And actually, you're right, because they had two or three chances on the break. Didn't get any on target, but they... You know, they broke away uh, with, with purpose and effectively, and they caused England problems. At no stage whatsoever did I think, oh, England are in trouble. There's going to be a shock defeat here. And once the first goal goes in, and then the second very quickly, and then another one just after halftime, no problem at all. But they were frustrated. But the, 
I'd, I'd like to say they stayed patient, but Millie Bright did not live up to her name with a shot. The honestly, I thought it was going to end up in Eastleigh. It was it was that far <laughs> next to my hotel. Yeah. <laughs> it was. He'll it, probably arrive there at the same time as I do. But I think that moment, Leanne, and maybe you'll back me up here. That moment, every, all the England players were. Nobody had a go at her, but I think they were all looking around as if to say, come on, we're better than this. And then they started to lift Did themselves. the Georgia Stanway side-eye came out? She's mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. Side-eyed, yeah. Side eye. I used to have a few of those. People used to call it like the death stare. I didn't even realise I was doing it a lot of the time, to be honest. You've but been it to me. Yeah, maybe I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like I, you, I, I like That's you. because I put my hand in the Harry bows early and went for the, <laughs> went for the red and blue snakes, and she likes those. <laughs> God, you know me so well already. Never the yellow or the green, no, always never red the red or the blue. Never the yellow or the green. Um, look, Kirby's goal was really good. The way she took it, I thought, was really mm. cultured. Because uh, it's a difficult one to hit, actually, isn't but it? But you called it a half volley. Yeah, it did. During the during, did just it? in front of her, yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. that, Sam. No, I feel like she just bent it in the top corner. What I will say about I'm that saying goal, it didn't, but... What I'll say about that goal is, and, and listen, I don't want to go into detail on this particular issue um, because it's just not worth the time on the pod, but what I will say is that there are some people who are doubtful of the quality of women's football. I don't... I've watched Frank Kirby a lot, and that that's something that's really reinforced to me the quality. Because yeah, but the quality of all the goals, Adrian, were yeah, absolutely. absolutely terrific. I mean, apart from the fifth goal, which is an own goal, the quality of the goals mm. were exceptional from England. I mean, Beth Mead's finish, the way she cuts inside and the arrow into the bottom corner was clinical, precise, accurate. It was, it was, it was beautiful. And, well, look, I don't think we can say anything other than the peach was Alicia Russo's second goal. Oh, that, that is unbelievable. And I'd like to say I played a part in that because I interviewed her this week and we had a great time. But <laughs> it's down to you. Mate. Yeah, it was down totally to me. Down no, to but you. she's a great girl, genuinely. Did you get an assist? Do I get this? Yeah, that's a good point. Would you actually. give her your Harry? I might have to get some ruin. <laughs> She's Man United, so yeah, you know what she wants. It was made by Ella Toon, though. Great ball yep. fall to her. And the, the way she takes it, little cry turn, straighten on the goalkeeper and a rifled finish. Yeah, I think we've got some special players in this team. I think you've got players like Alessia that's come on tonight and she's got player of the match in this game. I mean, surely, I'm not saying it's putting pressure on Ellen White. I'm not saying that. But the way Alessia came onto this game tonight and in the other games as well, she's looked sharp and she's looked ready. I think Ellen White barely touches the ball. So I think we could see as the tournament goes late, like as the later they go in the tournament, we might see Serena Vigman make substitutes at halftime. That actually couldn't impact the game because I don't think you can go in these big games and not really touch the ball like that. Do you think Ellen White's position is under threat now? Well, judging by the way she was dancing at full time, no. she doesn't feel it's under threat at <laughs> no, all. No, she's enjoying, right? I mean, <laughs> she's I mean, loving it. Ellen, Ellen, I, I mean, I'm not saying she's going to retire anytime soon from international football, but Ellen will know this year at Manchester City she hasn't had her best season, but goals-wise. But Ellen White always comes alive in the England shirt. And I think that's what, similar to the men's team, you know, we talk about players like Harry Maguire and those types of players that Gareth Southgate knows he can rely upon. I think Serena Vigman knows she can rely on Ellen White in the big games. To, to do good because I think times I thought Beth England should get a chance but really when she starts a game she doesn't have the same impact and she's played minimally put it this way if you just say England make the final okay and whoever they're playing it's going to be a tough ask who do you trust in that shirt Ellen up White. top it's got to be Ellen yeah White. Ellen White I think that's what Serena Vigman will go with as well. At the end, we had a bit of an ABBA theme tonight, didn't we? Because <laughs> and I don't like ABBA. I don't like ABBA. No, but they were girls, I love ABBA. You did well, though. You the, did well. The girls very love good. ABBA, right? So they were dancing and screaming to ABBA after the game against Norway, right? So that was their that was their takeaway. They had a great party to it. Um, so we used a bit of ABBA tunage on the show. Adrian said at the end, I have a dream. And he was talking about the fact that he start, he's starting to believe that England can go all the way. 
Are we starting to see a team that are major contenders? No one scored as many goals as England. No one's looked as threatening going forward as England. You know, Germany have been brilliant so far. France have scored goals. And, and, and actually, I didn't think they played particularly well last night in their game. But they, they've got over the line. They will get over the line. Spain have been a little bit disappointing. But, and had to come back from a goal down against Finland and conceded the first goal in the second game as well. So, look, ultimately, how close are England to making that next step and doing something unthinkable? I think very close. I think the fact that all you can do is win the games in front of you and they've won them in an unbelievable way, really. And the fact that we've got the home, you know, the home and home field advantage everywhere they go, these players are like rock stars and it's absolutely fantastic. It really is. And I can't speak highly enough of these players. I think a lot of these players have come from a complete obscurity this season. Nobody even knew who a lot of these players were, not necessarily on the England team, but in the WSL. And now these players have had to almost probably think, wow, like we're actually in a major tournament in our own country and everybody, and that's the difference. I think when I played in tournaments, it was always other countries, Canada. We knew everybody was behind us here, but that feeling of playing in your home country with these fans, it's absolutely incredible. It really is. And I think, we are very close, but I'm mindful of saying we're going to win it because I'm just so well, no nervous. Still, I'm just nervous because I want us to play, win it. So we but... can't say. No one knows who's going to win it because anything can happen in a football match. But Adrian, is that key? How they handle that scrutiny? Because it's going to be very different as, this, as the tournament takes off and it gets into its knockout stages. The level of attention that these players who aren't always used to the spotlight burning so brightly upon them. And how they deal with that is going to be key, isn't it? It is, but I don't think it'll be a, that'll be a big problem. I think the, the quality of the opposition getting tougher and tougher will be a big problem for them. In terms of the scrutiny, the weekend before the tournament started on the Wednesday, um, as you do, you buy a whole load of Sunday papers, sit there reading them all morning. You know, you and I both do that. Um, and there were loads of features on yeah. online SS players. There's a big photo shoot in the Sunday Times pullout, uh, which was fantastic. I mean, the girls look magnificent and they were talking so confidently. They are, I think, WSL has been so big this last season that I think they're all now very, very used to it. A lot of them will have played in the States as well, as, as Leanne's been saying in, in the commentaries you've done. You know, and, and they, they're used to the scrutiny over there as well. So I don't think the scrutiny is going to be such a big problem. Um, I mean, they, they walked out in front of 70,000 at Old Trafford and yeah. maybe the nerves got to them a little bit that night because it wasn't a fluent performance, but they got the win and they kept a clean sheet. So I have a dream and I'm sticking to the dream and they're not rock stars. They're more like Agneta <laughs> and Frida from ABBA. He Thank loves you. ABBA as well, by I the know. way. He keeps telling me he goes to Mamma Mia the musical. No, I'm it's not very good. That I tell you what, if England win the Euros, me and you will go to Mamma Mia with him. Can I come? Yeah. Did, okay. Is no, that with true? You, we said. With, with Harry Bo. I believe in ancient. I haven't agreed to that. <laughs> <laughs> we just bullied you into it. <laughs> That's the problem when you're on a team. It'll be a great night out. <laughs> Can I just say as well, if, if, if England do make the final, Lionesses make the final, they've got to rename Wembley the Serena Arena. Okay? Because, you know, she, she is everywhere with this team. She's got a stamp all over this team. And, and the 17 games under Serena, they've scored 98 goals yep. and conceded three. One fifteen, drawn two, lost none. But, it's a sensational record. But is it worth pointing out that those three goals that they conceded were against the Netherlands, who they could face in the final, Serena's final uh, former team, and Germany, who they could get in the semi-final? They so. don't, the Netherlands, this tournament, don't look anywhere near where they were at under her. And I think that shows you the difference she can make She's won this tournament before. She knows how to win. And I think she, she's proven that she knows how to win. I think there's a lot of managers that have a philosophy, but it's not proven. Do you know what I mean? They're like, we'll do this, we'll do that. But actually, 
she won with the Netherlands and they weren't really the best team. And all those players talking about people being plucked from obscurity have gone on to play for Barcelona, Lika Martins, you know, Shanice van der Sanden have gone on to top teams and yeah. they kind of were unknown players before that. So she's able to do that. And she, I think she's brilliant. I really like her in her interviews and it's so refreshing for me to have an England manager that I actually really like. And I feel like <laughs> I wish I could play for her. <laughs> no, no, no. But like, <laughs> no, but I think she seems fair. I think she's ruthless and that's what you can ask for. All players are going to be disappointed if they don't play. You want that. But I feel like I get a real sense from her. Like genuinely, I feel from her that she wants, she knows what she's doing. Mate, you, you, you're talking about the communication. You said earlier that um, when you went to the World Cup, you, you were first choice and then you didn't play and nobody spoke to you. Manager didn't speak to you. It feels like just at, like this evening, she's kept the same team and we're all expecting changes. feels like she'll have sat down all those players who are going to be subs yet again and kind of kept them on side by being adult and communicating with them on a mature level. Yeah, she's direct. Yeah. So she tells you what she thinks politely, but she tells you what That's what thinks. the Dutch culture is like, though. And, 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 and it seems to have worked for her so far. So that's, that's got to be a plus for, for England. 13 clean sheets, uh, sorry, 14 clean sheets and 17 internationals. And I must admit, we should point this out. They've set a record, or they've equaled a record for consecutive wins. Nine wins in a row. The last time that an England team did that, was straight after the ban was lifted, 1972. November 1972 to April 1975, nine wins in a row. But this is a different level of quality of opposition that they're playing now and a different game entirely. I mean, to win nine games in a row as an international team is some achievement, isn't it? It is. And I think as well, it goes back to when we played under certain managers. We tried to play football under Mark Sampson. We used to miss out the whole of the midfield and we used to just literally get Steph to boot it over to Jody Taylor and then we found ourselves in the final. And that's the reality. <laughs> None of us really liked the style of football, but we thought, actually, it's worked. Under Hope Power, we actually tried to play football. We didn't get anywhere. Now, you can see these players, they're like actually able to implement the game plan. Because I, I got asked before the tournament a lot, is this team better than what you had in 2015? No, was my answer. Because player for player... I don't think they was. When you look at Claire Rafferty, Lucy Bronze was there, Fran was there, Tony Duggan. Individually, I think we had a better, better squad. Mm. And that's my honest opinion. But that's not to say that, you know, I'm saying this, play, this team is not good because they are. But I just think if we had all of the things that this team has, God knows where we would have got to. But that's taken nothing away from these players. But I genuinely think because a lot of people have just come on board to women's football now, haven't they? Yep. This season, they think the game's got better and it is getting better. And I hope after this tournament, more people can keep coming to the games. One of the things that obviously has been talked about a lot over the course of the last few days is the uh, racial makeup of the England team and the fact that there are only two players uh, that are non-white in the group in three. Is it Jess Carter, Demi Stokes and Nikita Paris? Three non-white players in the group has raised an eyebrow and also the fact that none of them have been used up until tonight. Jess Carter came on as a second half substitute. Uh, were you, I mean, you weren't surprised that it had happened because you and I have had a, we had a conversation about it the first night uh, when we were at the after party. But were you surprised that it took a week for the rest of the world's media to catch up? And do you think that it is illustrative of, uh, of English football and, and actually the culture needs to change at a grassroots level? Yeah, I think I want to put it in simple terms because I don't think people quite understand where... I'm not, nobody's saying that Savina Beekman's picking players based upon the colour of their skin, but there's a, there's a problem lower down the levels. There's grassroots level problem that I believe that players are being blocked. They're not sitting in a room saying we're not picking a player because they're black, but there's something not right. Because when I played, 
you know, there was me, Alex Scott, Anita Asante, Rachel Yankee. Like it wasn't even like that. Now it's difficult because a lot of people think, well, they have a lot of different opinions on this, but for me, how you can have an England team without any people of color in it, it is astounding to me. But then people say to me, well, who should be playing then? Right. Are there any black players that are not being picked? And we had that conversation yep. as well. And you said to me, there isn't anybody who I can turn around and go, I think they should be in the squad. No, but having said that, Dan Carter scored two hat-tricks in a row, then got injured and she'd never been picked again. And I'm not saying Dan Carter should be playing here instead of any of the players, but I think there's different, there's different strokes with different throats, there's different rules for different people. And that's just reality. Right. And I just think it needs to change lower down. And hopefully, you know, it, I can't when always When you say lower person. down, what do you mean? Because you, you, do you mean that kids getting into the game yeah. are being blocked? Yeah, I do. From progressing. I believe that is the case. And I think it's been, this is a repercussion of, we went through something that was quite traumatizing for myself and any other Beluka, and that was only four or five years ago. So I think we're seeing a bit of a hangover from that because if people watched that on the TV, they saw us go to the House of Parliament, they saw none of our teammates sticking up for us. So they'd be thinking, well, why would I get involved? And seeing is believing. You know, now little girls in America believe they could be the vice president of America because Kamala Harris, not to get political, is the vice president no, and she's a person of color. Now, People see me, they believe they can be on the television. They see Karen Carney, they believe they can be on the television. It doesn't matter what colour you are. This goes back to sexism as well within the game. And it's still going to take a long time for that to be overcome. But I'm, I'm just glad that someone else is raising these issues because it can't be me constantly the one that's talking about it. They did an interview, Jess Crichton brought this to people's attention about two years ago. Yeah. So it's obvious but sometimes people only see what they want to see. I think if you go back to, and, and I was speaking with any a lot during that period, I and mean, I remember you in, in Parliament, and it was heartbreaking to see what went on and what was going on at that time with, and it was people not listening to you, you weren't being heard, people weren't listening to you, people weren't believing what you were saying as well. Remember, think about it, if you're a, if you're a young uh, black girl and you love football and you play football and you see all that going on, you ain't going to want to get involved in that because no. you aren't going to be heard. You're not going to be seen. You're not going to be listened to. So I think you're right that that I, I have there no, I have no evidence of it, but it feels like feels that like would have a direct correlation. Exactly. Exactly. I think that that period, I mean, it's, it's a changing period for English football. It's an important period. I mean, you, you can't underestimate what you and any did in that time and others did in that time. It, it's such an important period, a real changing period for English football and, and the women's game as well. And I think that some girls will have watched that and just turned away from it. That, that's my belief. And, and that, that makes me sad because th there are a lot of girls out there that watch these games and they don't see anybody that looks like them. Yeah. And that for me is a problem. And that's not saying that players should be picked based upon the colour of their skin, but they need to have a long, hard look at themselves. Mm. You know, these football associations and everything from the top all the well, way I down, the I think they need to do something. themselves can't be happy about the situation because they're very big on trying, especially with Gareth Southgate and the England. Go, go through all the evidence from back in that period. Think about some of the things that were said mm -hmm. to yeah. you and to any, and no, no black girl will want, will want to get involved in, a, in, a, well, in an institution like that. I think the key thing is, is that it's good to highlight it, to talk about it and to try and make sure that it does change going forward. And, and as Adrian said, the, the things that you did back, in that period, obviously, were really important for young women in the game, mm -hmm. young people of, of, of colour in the game. And hopefully, we will start to see the effects of that changing in the near future. There's one other issue that I want to talk to you about. And it does sound like I'm doing an issue-based podcast. I'm not. <laughs> but, but one of the things that I noticed about this place, and you missed the fifth goal tonight, right? Let's be honest, but you missed the fifth goal <laughs> yeah. because you had to go to the toilet. Mm -hmm. The problem is you couldn't go at half-time because this is a, a men's football stadium, predominantly, and there's hardly any female toilets. Yeah. But 
There's 30,000 people inside this stadium and 20,000 of them are female and there's not enough toilets here, is there? I mean, that just that is just the case. You had to miss a goal. Yeah, and I nearly fell up the stairs sprinting back because I think everybody had the same idea when I tried to go at half time because I knew I had a break and the line was just so long and I didn't even bother standing in it. And then I spoke to somebody and asked them if there was an area that we could go to, you know, in the media zone or something. Yeah. There wasn't because we're on the other side. And then obviously I said to you, I'm going to, I'm going to hold it. I'm going to hold it. And I just couldn't hold it anymore. No, I felt like I was going to pass out. Anyway. I felt like I was going to pass out. And then I was like, I ran down there and I nearly fell up the stairs, but it sounds like funny, but I, I was really annoyed because obviously, Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 need, I don't know. It, it sounds well, really funny it, for talking about it. But, so but about it happens now, at all the stadiums. Though. We, yeah, it does. And I noticed it at Brighton on Monday night and I was going to bring it up with you then, but we just didn't have the time or whatever. But ultimately, I think they probably should have converted some of the blokes' toilets into female. Oh, some temporary ones. In. Oh, they did a box part. When I went to Harry Styles, most of the men's toilets have become female toilets because realistically, I'm not saying all of Harry Styles fans are, are girls, but predominantly they are. So they did that. But there will be more girls, like parents bringing younger girls to these games. Yeah. Absolutely. And by the way, the fans, again, Brilliant. magnificent. And the excitement when the goals were going in from some of the young they fans. they gone in. Yeah, when, it, when they put, <laughs> went in behind the goal, they were still holding it up. Yeah. But I, I think that if you imagine what now, 10, 15 years on from now, some of those girls inspired yeah. by these three group games and beyond, it's going to be magnificent. But we've had a great time so far, haven't we? We've really loved enjoyed it. it. I've know? loved working with you guys. I mean, we've obviously worked together we, kind we, of sporadically we before. You, but... you bring uh, sweets <laughs> with you. No, but it does help when you work with people that you like and you enjoy and you kind of, I respect everybody I work with, but it's nice to have a good group of people. It's been brilliant so far and, we're in it till the final, guys, and hopefully England will be there. stopping yet, are we? <laughs> Quarterfinal commentary comes next for Wednesday night. England, well, we think they'll play Spain, but we don't know. There's a big game over the weekend. They may end up uh, getting Denmark. Um, OK, let's do the rest of the day's uh, football news and transfer news. Alex Crook is going to join us next. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Alex Crook joins us to talk about the transfer news and the news around the Premier League. 
And uh, since we last spoke, they have actually now confirmed, Chelsea, that they've signed Raheem Sterling, which is good because you told us nine days <laughs> ago that they were going to do it on that day. So at least they've got that done. Uh, the other thing is, is they're not going to sign Nathan Ake now. They're probably going to go back in for Jules Kunde. We'll get to Chelsea in just a second, but we seem to start so much with Chelsea that it's pushed them to the end of the agenda because um, the big news uh, earlier today, which was Friday, was that Christian Eriksen has completed his free transfer to Manchester United. You've just given a big thumbs up and fist pump there. Um, why are you so excited about it? It's a three-year contract, isn't it? This is a, this is a player who uh, has been through a stringent medical, but has also made a massive impact in the Premier League at Brentford since uh, coming back to full fitness. Uh, is that why you're so excited about it? What does he do for United, do you think? I think it's twofold, um, to be honest. I feel an affinity um, with Christian Eriksen having commentated that game in Copenhagen when he collapsed on the pitch. So I think it's just a, a genuine feel-good story, not only that he's managed to recover from that horrendous incident to continue his career at the top level, did really well at Brentford last season. I think they probably have gone down without his contribution. And I think he's a class act. I think he's a class act in the dressing room, which United need. I think he's a class act on the pitch. He strengthens the midfield, which has been a problem area for United for a number of seasons now. He gives competition for Bruno Fernandes, which I think is much needed. I know Danny Murphy on Talk Sport said he was underwhelmed by the appointment. Our social media team retweeted those comments almost straight after United announced him on Friday afternoon. I don't get the negativity. I think... We're all cynics in, in this game, but I think anybody who can't be happy for Christian Eriksen that he's now joining one of the biggest clubs in the world, and they are, whatever you think about the way they've been operating, they are one of the biggest clubs in the world. I think it's a great story, and I think it's a, a good addition for United. Someone that Eric Ten Hag uh, saw at first hand when he was training with Ajax, somebody who will know how to play the Ten Hag way. I don't see any negatives in this signing. Yeah, his numbers uh, after joining Brentford were so very good and his contribution to the improvement in the Ivan Tony, obviously, was a massive thing as well. So the team really benefited from his introduction. It'd be interesting to see, obviously, Manchester United being in a situation where they're going to have to look to Anthony Martial and at present Marcus Rashford as their two forward options, whether or not he can bring the best out of those two who have had underwhelming seasons. Although I did notice that against Melbourne victory earlier um, on Friday, he Marcus Rashford got on the score sheet and so did Martial. So maybe uh, they've already come back reinvigorated by Eric Ten Hag. But should we talk a little bit about the other big sticking point that we still have no breakthrough in the transfer of uh, Frankie de Jong? One Do we that have has to? been dragging on too long. I know you don't want to talk about it, but you, know, you, you seem to think that Manchester United are going to chase this until the end of the year until eventually turns up at, at Carrington. But you know, we spoke to Phil Kithramilidis from the Spanish Football Podcast today and he said, well, basically, he's been pretty clear, Frankie de Jong, he doesn't really want to leave uh, Barcelona. And as a result of that, they also owe him 17 million quid, which is another reason not to leave because he wants to get his money back. But, but as a result of that, you cannot force him to do so. He thinks he can probably ride it out and eventually they'll have to play him. I think that 17 million pound is the elephant in the room. I think actually he's played quite a clever game by declaring Barcelona his dream club and saying publicly that he wants to stay because he doesn't want to make it easy for them to avoid paying him the money that's owed. I think but I know... you can understand that Manchester United have lost a little bit of luster, that they're not the club that, that they once were. And if you read the Spanish press and 
you know, having a look at it over the course of the last 24 hours, you know, the way they talk about Manchester United is like it's a club that's falling down. You know, Ronaldo wants to leave. They're signing players on free transfers. They're getting people who who haven't really made a splash in the Dutch league. You know, De Jong, why did the question being asked is why does De Jong want to join that? I mean, so although we see it as this is Manchester United, it's part of the rebuild. They're on an upward slope, but they're going to get there in the end eventually. From the outside looking in, you know, a bit like maybe we're looking at Barcelona, there is a negative view. Yeah, I understand that. But I struggle to comprehend uh, that even a club that's been as shambolically run as Manchester United in recent years would spend nine weeks chasing a player who hadn't shown any inclination to make the move. You know, they sent out Murtagh and, and Arnold earlier this week to try and get the deal done. Obviously, the package has been agreed with Barcelona, so that was part one of their master plan. I think if United don't sign De Jong, it looks particularly bad on those two, uh, you know, heading up what is supposed to be a bold new era. Doesn't mean it's the, not going to happen. Northwest. No, it doesn't. Um, but I'm still confident. I believe United are still confident. So it's a game of patience. And, and I, <laughs> hopefully uh, for, De Jong, for Manchester United, patience will be rewarded. But <laughs> the I, thing I think is, is, you sounded confident initially when you said it. And then as you got halfway through that sentence, you seemed to sort of lose a little bit of confidence yeah. and started laughing yourself. Well, yeah, you, yeah, because it sounds ridiculous um, because it should have been done by now. But I don't think the way that Barcelona have conducted themselves this summer is befitting of a club of their stature. We've spoken about their their financial issues. I think Leeds have put in certain penalties um, in the deal taking Rafinha to the new camp. If they miss payments, they they have to have to pay a levy. So, um, you know, that, the reason that deal is so complicated is because I think Barcelona didn't want to start paying for Rafinha until next year. So that tells you where they're at at the moment. If you're Frankie de Jong, you're owed this £17 million. I think Barcelona have told him that they need to sell him. If you're hearing that on one hand, and then they're signing Rafinha, they're putting bids in for Lewandowski, they're linking themselves via the Spanish press with Bernardo Silva, why would you make it easy for them? Uh, to why get do they want all, the, all, all these wingers? <laughs> well, <laughs> they seem well, to have about 100 of them. I did do a bit of digging on the Bernardo Silva story on Friday afternoon because obviously, again, the Spanish media were hot saying that George Mendes has agreed a, a transfer fee with Barcelona. I've, I've never known of an agent agreeing a transfer fee before. Surely that's this is George club Mendes. to club. Uh, but Manchester City don't want to sell Bernardo Silva. They're saying there's nothing to see here. So let's see. But I mean, it's the, the way that the dynamic of the Spanish press, I mean, it's probably a whole new podcast, but the, the way that papers are affiliated with certain football clubs is quite an interesting case study compared to what happens in this country. Um, Everton, I spoke to someone at Everton the other day, and obviously they, you've got Farhad Mashiri telling everyone it's not for sale now, despite just a week ago being in an exclusive negotiation period with Peter Kenyon. Um, he says, judge me after the transfer window. Well, they are working on a deal to sign Maxwell Corne from Burnley. I understand that they're looking for three players or something like that, in addition to Tarkovsky, who's been really... Um, uh, they've been really impressed with the way that he has come into the club and how he has uh, raised the standard. He, he's, he's great around the dressing room. Um, they, they'll be a bit creative with loans, etc. They, they're not going to spend 100 million quid. It, it's, it's about quantity depth, especially in midfield. The attitude of the dressing room needs a bit of freshening up. Probably three more on top of Tarkovsky, which is the minimum, something like that. But they need to get some out as well. Well, again, they're a club who, because they've been through so many managers in such a short space of time, have collected quite a lot of un unwanted players. Um, I was told by an executive at another Premier League club that Everton are one of a number of sides who are almost slowing down the transfer window when it comes to the bottom half of the table because they haven't got uh, much disposable income. The Cornet one's interesting because his release clause is 
obviously so low. I know he had his sights set on maybe a bigger club than Everton. I've mentioned Chelsea monitoring his situation. So I think they will face a bit of competition for him. There's Harry Winks at Tottenham. We know that Lampard is a fan of and and maybe Conor Gallagher, depending what Chelsea decide to do with him on a loan deal. Chelsea should keep Conor Gallagher. There is no doubt about that. Uh, But Corne did... Uh, score nine goals in 26 Premier League games. He won't be staying at Turf Moor, despite the fact that he only moved from Leon last summer, uh, because quite simply, he is just not, um, he's just too good to play in the championship. And that release clause, which means that he'll leave for 17, about 17 million pounds, is a bargain for anyone who's still in the Premier League. Can I just add to that as well? It was mentioned to me by somebody a few days ago that uh, Maxwell Cornet wasn't particularly, particularly happy with his agent because he was under the impression oh, you're going to tell he, this story, he, are you? he was on loan at yeah, Burnley. Yeah, yeah. We told that on the Sunday session a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he walked in, he walked into uh, his agent's office and said, I, um, I think I'll go back to my uh, parent club. And the folks said to him, you're not on loan. It's a permanent deal. <laughs> <laughs> Which is brilliant. Uh, fantastic. And I said, I actually asked someone who told me that story. Is this real? It can't be real, right? I mean, it's just a made-up story, isn't it, right? Because, like, you know, footballers know where they're going. And the bloke said, shook his head and said, no, I, I think it is real. And you'll be surprised just how often that sort of thing happens in football. Okay, fair enough. Um, right, uh, let's turn our attention further up the table and look a little bit about um, Chelsea and trying to get hold of a central defender because... Having got, well, they haven't got Koulibaly in the door, but we think they're going to. But then again, we thought they were going to get Ake through the door, but Ake's mm. going to stay at Manchester City now. Thomas Tuchel speaking uh, in just the last hour or so has said, Lukaku returning next summer, I wouldn't put it past us. Um, <laughs> okay, great. Uh, I could never have imagined that uh, um, I would stay longer than Roman, P- Marina and Petter. He said that was impossible. So now I can't predict anything that is going to happen in the future. Um, the, the truth is that they need desperately to have uh, central defenders in the door and they probably need another midfielder if they're not going to keep Conor Gallagher, which is why I hope they will. Yeah, I, I know they're a bit frustrated um, with Manchester City because the Nathan Ake deal was very advanced. Uh, personal terms agreed with the player. I, I think the, the actual discrepancy in what Chelsea were willing to pay and what City were holding out for is, is minimal, around about £5 million. But in the end, City and Ake have come together to decide that actually he does have a future um, at the Etihad. Uh, probably that will have knock-on effects for Zinchenko because um, obviously they, they can both play on the left-hand side. So if City have decided we're going to sell Zinchenko, maybe that was a factor in their decision to keep Ake. But Chelsea do have an alternative list. We know they're keen on uh, Kim Pembe. They've held talks with PSG, although again, um, they're nowhere near meeting the price tag that the French champions want for him. Jules Koundé, who is someone who seems to get linked with a move to the Premier League in every transfer window, is also He's on injured and has just had a, a, an operation, yeah. And so too, uh, not injured, but on their list is uh, Deu Upamecano, because of course, if uh, Bayern Munich signed Delict, as looks likely, then he might be surplus to requirements there. So there's a bit of a centre-back merry-go-round going on. And I'm sure they're looking at Pau Torres as well, along with a number of Premier League clubs at VRL. Yeah, uh, those are the names that keep being thrown out. It's interesting, isn't it? I mentioned on air the other day that, you know, it's a bit of a scattergun approach from Chelsea because, you know, they clearly need players. And a lot of that is borne out by the fact that they didn't have the mechanisms in place to conduct transfers for three months because of the sanctions that were imposed on the club. You know, Thomas Tuchel now is sort of almost acting as an advisor to Todd Bowley to tell him what we should get and what we shouldn't get. He's saying, you know, it is intense. Everybody needs to find their role and adapt and adjust 
just the first signings here. Hopefully, we'll get more signings. I'm in contact with Todd on a daily basis, sometimes more than once uh, than a daily basis. My concern is for the team to be competitive. That's where my focus is, and it has to be. For this, we have to invest a lot of time, and we need to be hands-on. There's no other way. I'm glad I've got the staff, not only my coaching staff, but football staff. We have a certain routine that I can rely on, but it's all very time-consuming. Discussions and working on possible signings. It's not my favourite thing to do, and in the long run, the focus has to be on the coaching, because that's why I'm here. Almost suggesting that he is having to double up as a sporting director and a manager because, you know, ultimately, you know, it's, it's more responsibility for him. Yeah, but it's quite a powerful position uh, for a modern day manager at one of but the top clubs in Europe. But he up. As he said, it's time consuming and in the long run, the focus has to be on the coaching. He'll have no excuses though. Uh, going into this season. If he's basically picking the players and Todd Bowley is going out and buying them for him. He, he, if they get ju- them. Yeah. And, and listen, it is only July the 15th as we as we, as we uh, record this podcast. It seems like the transfer window has been open for an eternity because so much has happened. And I know the season is starting in three weeks' time, but the window is open until September the 1st. So there's there's a lot of water to flow under the bridge still. 21 days before the season starts. You need to get them in before at least a week before, don't you? I mean, ideally, you want to do what Tottenham have done, do business nice and early. Yeah, and uh, obviously Man City have got their business done as well in terms of uh, you know their their main attraction. So too Liverpool. It's taking a bit longer for other clubs, um, but I think that's because a lot of clubs are looking at the same players. I mentioned Paul Torres; he's probably got three or four potential destinations uh, in the Premier League. Even Jesse Lingard, who we might mention, looks like he's not going to America after all. He is considering a move. Uh, we're told to Saudi Arabia, but he has three offers who's from the Premier League. Who's considering a move to Saudi Arabia? Apparently, Lingard is. No, he's not. That's one offer that remains on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an offer that remains on the table, like the one that went to Cristiano Ronaldo for 235 million <laughs> quid to go to Saudi Arabia. But he's not actually going to go. You would have uh, thought and not, so. And nor is Jesse Lingard. Um, I'm sure, anyway. Um, well, we'll okay. find out next week, apparently. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what well, he's going to tell us next week, that where he's going to go. Yeah. Where's your money My- on? Maybe while we're live on air on, on White and Jordan. I, I, I thought for a while he'll end up at West Ham. Stuart Pearce said that he was good at West Ham, but that Simon Jordan said he was what Simon Jordan said about him was right. And that was that average players, too many average players, get paid so much money that actually they're put in a position of, they end them finding, finding themselves in a position of power over their destination that really they haven't earned. And Jesse Lingard, he said, fell into that category. I thought that most people would sort of rebut that idea but Stuart Pearce said you know what actually he did well at West Ham but he isn't as good as everybody keeps making out and he hasn't achieved as much as maybe he should have done certainly not as much as his potential suggested when he first came onto the scene I want to see more of Jesse Lingard you know, he's only 29 years of age I don't think he should be going to the MLS I think he should at least try one more move in the Premier League first and that's no disrespect to MLS right because MLS Obviously, he's on the up. Apple TV deal is a great deal, et cetera, et cetera. But I just want to see, I want to see him here. If he goes anywhere other than the Premier League, he's simply chasing the money. There's no other way of dressing it up. So oh, lifestyle. I hope, oh, I, lifestyle. Hope for, I hope for his development, money and lifestyle, there's, <laughs> there's not much in it. But um, I hope for his development and for his ambition, he stays in the Premier League. And I think we know Everton are in the running. Um, I'd be interested to see who the third Premier League club are because I was told that Newcastle distance themselves uh, from their interest. West Ham are very keen. David Moyes has made it pretty clear all summer uh, that Lingard is one of his top targets. So I think that's still most likely, but there could be a complete curveball in there. Uh, Newcastle, have you got any updates on who else they're looking at? Um, 
It's going to be quiet there, really, wasn't it? Because you, know, you would have thought that this was going to be like the blow-up summer. They got Botman in. But apart from that, there hasn't been too much to, to write home about for them. Well, they're, I think they're, they're building steadily. I think that, well, they're building steadily as, as Steady Eddie. Uh, we, we knew that would be the case um, when he came in. And, and to be fair, from what I'm told, the Newcastle owners, at least the likes of Amanda Stavely, are on the same page there. I, I think they'll bring in one headline-making signing. I don't know who that will be. Obviously, there's been talk of Alexander Isak, but as I understand it, not all of the management team are on the same page with that That's one. It's called a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, Armando Brogia, I, I don't think they're interested in him. Is real. They like the, the lad uh, Diaby from Bayer Leverkusen. That's going to take big money. That could be the statement signing. Um, but they're also interested in Jack Harrison at Leeds. I'm not entirely convinced by that one. I have to be honest. Why? I just he was don't really know. productive in that first season that they were in the yeah, Premier League. And actually, towards the end of the season this year, he actually turned out to be a key player for them. He, 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 he's obviously got something because Manchester City signed him. But does he kick them on to the next level, Newcastle? I'm not sure. I think the interest is real. I'm just not that excited well, if, if I was you a think Newcastle fan. A lot of last season, you had Jacob Murphy playing in that, in that position. True down that left-hand side. I think it would probably be an upgrade on Jacob. And, you know, he's done quite well, but he's not as... His end product let him down far too often, whereas Jack Harrison's end product actually was pretty consistent. Yeah, it was towards the end of the season. He struggled, um, as a lot of the Leeds players did, for much of the campaign. I think it will take decent money. And then, you know, having sold uh, Phillips and uh, Rafinha, I don't think Leeds are desperate to sell any more of their prized assets. So it, it might come down to cost and... I think what we know from Newcastle, they don't want to pay this so-called Newcastle tax. I know that Eddie Howe is still a big fan of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but again, I think that would probably cost more than they're willing to pay. The same with Ivan Tony, who they inquired about earlier in the summer. So they are sticking to their guns, despite Simon Jordan uh, regularly saying, well, they are going to have to pay over the odds for players because people know they've got money at the moment. They've been pretty stubborn. They won't do that. Uh, well, can, we can't go through a whole podcast without mentioning Cristiano Ronaldo. Surely we can't do that. Um, where is he going to land? Because increasingly, it looks like he might end up having to stay just because of a lack of viable options. Well, I have felt that all along. Um, I've been pretty steadfast that I didn't think he would leave. Uh, not wobble halfway through. Then, then don't give me that. Uh, not really, because I just couldn't see a destination. You know, obviously, you and Scott Minto, when we were together on the Sunday session, we were saying, "Well, I can see where." He would fit in at Chelsea. I couldn't see where he would fit in under Thomas Tuchel. He's just not a modern manager's player now. He doesn't work hard enough off the ball. He doesn't press. Obviously, he costs an awful lot in wages, which is why the likes to Bayern Munich have walked away. Paris Saint-Germain, I think the owners have still got loose interest. But again, they've got so many egos at that club. They don't need another one. Christophe so Gaultier doesn't need that. Welcome to Paris. Can you manage these three guys? Oh, and by the way, <laughs> exactly. here's a little, here's a little present for you. We've got Cristiano Ronaldo. Exactly. It's not the type of president that any new manager going there would want to unwrap. And I do believe that the main reason he wants out is because he wants to play in the Champions League. That was why Saudi Arabia and the MLS were, were never going to be serious options. So if he doesn't get an offer from a, a Champions League club, I think he'll stay. And he did put up that picture, didn't he, on social media this week of him in the gym, back in training, wearing a pair of Manchester United shorts. Now, Ronaldo doesn't do anything by accident. Was that a little subliminal message that actually I'm still a Manchester United player? <laughs> well, he certainly is still a Manchester United player. So that's probably the reason why he's training in Manchester United gear. But you never know. Maybe it is a hidden message. All right. Thank you very much. Cheers for uh, getting involved in the podcast today. We did think that we were going to miss you today. Uh, but no, we still have your presence. Which I'm is like always a bad a penny. 
It's a delight. Yeah, or bad smell. Probably more apt, especially in this weather. Um, right, we'll see you early next week. In fact, we're doing White and Jordan for two weeks now together. So we'll see a lot of you over the yes. course of the next uh, couple of look, weeks. Look forward to it. And uh, we've got Joel Veltman coming on on Monday. And he's very interesting on Eric Ten Hag, really revealing actually into the Manchester United new manager, played under him at Ajax. Yeah, that's good. Um, but could you dress smartly? Because you remember you're on camera. I know you've had a haircut, but could you make sure you dress smartly, tidy up your beard, all that kind of stuff? I don't want any complaints about your sartorial inelegance. Do you know what? I ha- I've had a haircut, especially for next week, and I was just about to have a beard trim in the barbers as well. And I got a phone call. I had to get back home to record an interview. Um, so I-, I need to make a second visit to the barbers to go and finish off now. Okay. All right. Thank you very much for making the effort. <laughs> Uh, We will see you uh, on Monday. Thank you very much for uh, downloading the Game Day podcast. Uh, We'll be back uh, next week. I think, are we doing pre the uh, quarterfinal or maybe... um, Post, I think. Post the quarterfinal on Wednesday night. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll keep you in touch with everything that happens in the European Championships. And uh, as England progress through, their next game is on Wednesday and it is live on TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.